All right, you may be seated for one moment. Over the last uh, month, we've been taking just a few minutes before we uh, continue in worship to just uh, speak out of worship a little bit. We've been uh, talking about those things that make worship more meaningful, like uh, making sure you walk in here uh, leaning on your new self, not your old self, because your new self, no matter what kind of week you've been through, your new self always wants to worship God. Uh, we've talked about using your imagination in worship. Uh, using your imagination to picture the presence of God, using your imagination to, uh, to uh, imagine some of the lyrics that you're singing as maybe you're closing your eyes. We, we, we've talked about uh, making sure you stay engaged in worship and you try yeah. to put away distractions. Uh, we've talked about taking those moments when there's no words on the screen and then the band is just playing to take those moments to, to sing your own song, right. uh, to give your own words to God and, and to take those times to pray. And uh, today's point is, uh, it is helpful, and I know this is hard for some of us who are more reserved, but it's helpful to, to get your body involved in, in worship as well. All throughout the scripture, when the scriptures talk about worship, often it talks about things like kneeling down or dancing or raising hands or clapping hands. And, and, and that's helpful because the Bible says don't just be doers of the, hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And uh, sometimes it can, be, it can be very subtle, just in a song, if you know the chorus, just to even close your eyes, that's getting your body involved. And maybe it makes it more worshipful. It may even just be taking a hand and even putting it like this. Uh, sometimes I'll just put my hand on, on my heart, and sometimes I'll raise my hand. Uh, but to try something with your body, and maybe uh, I challenge you today just to do one thing. Maybe it's just to close your eyes for a moment. Maybe it's going to be to just raise your hand, to put your hand on your heart. Uh, but it makes worship more meaningful Amen. because you're not just right. hearing the word, but you're actually doing it. And so, God, we ask as we continue to worship that you help us to be fully engaged. You'd help us to live our new self. God, we want to worship you. Our spirit wants to worship you. And so, God, here we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, over the next uh, three weeks, we are going to talk on uh, six keys to a healthy Marriage, and if you're here and you're not married, uh, don't check out because you can easily just change this to six keys to a healthy relationship. All these uh, keys that we're going to talk about, they apply uh, to any, any, uh, at least most relationships. Anyways, today we're going to look at two: uh, heart work and and forgiveness. Uh, marriage, uh, if you look at Canadian statistics. It says about 40% of marriages in Canada, first-time marriages, will, will end in divorce. Uh, the divorce rate for second time around or third time around is higher. Uh, but um, So we know just from statistics that marriage isn't easy. If you're married, you know that. If you look around and see marriage, you just realize that marriage is not always easy. And even with those 60% of people who stay together, uh, some of those marriages aren't happy marriages. Uh, sometimes those marriages, even though they stay together, couples will just end up kind of living like roommates or they will just constantly, you know, banter back and forth, but just still stay together and they're not happy marriages. Statistics also tell us that more and more marriages, the ones that do stay together, are actually more and more unhappy in this world we're in. And the sad thing is, out of all those marriages that are in trouble, less than 10% of marriages will actually, uh, the couples will actually reach out for help. And there's tons of help available uh, if you're here and you find your marriage, marriage struggling. But the reality is, it, uh, if you're married, you, you want your marriage to go well. I mean, I've done a ton of weddings, 
And I've never sat down with any kind of couple and I've never heard them say, you know, we just can't wait to get divorced. <laughs> Maybe we just can't wait till things get really hard and we start screaming at each other and yelling our heads off. We just can't wait for that. No, it's always, we're so in love. Uh, we're so happily ever after. It's just going to be wonderful. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're married, you want your marriage to thrive. And, and if you're not married, you want other marriages around you to thrive. And that's a good thing. It's awesome that you are saying, I want my marriage to thrive. But the other good news is that God wants your marriage to thrive as well. God is always pro-reconciliation. He is, he is pro-people getting along and loving each other. And so you have two people rooting for you. Well, three if you're married. You have God rooting for you and, and you and your spouse rooting for you. So that's good news. Amen. And it's why it's important to be praying for our marriages. We looked at this a few weeks ago in John. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. In other words, we talked about when you're praying in line with God's will, I mean, that there's an answer coming. And we know God's will is for marriages to thrive. So be praying for your marriage. Uh, be praying and constantly covering your marriage in prayer because there's one thing that we know as believers that not only we as broken people make marriage hard, but that we also have an enemy. Uh, there are evil spiritual beings who are at work wanting to destroy our marriage as well. As it says in 1 Peter, to stay alert, to, to watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And because he is all about killing and stealing and destroying, he's wanting to destroy marriage. He's wanting to wreck marriage. It tells us, science tells us, that having loving relationships result in greater health, greater wealth, greater resilience, faster recovery from illness, greater longevity, and more successful children. That, that a strong marriage has a ton of benefits. And you know that Satan is against all these things. He doesn't want you to be healthy, wealthy, resilient. He doesn't want you to, he wants you to be sick. He wants you to die young and have crazy kids. And so he's working against you, right? So be praying for your marriage. Now that's not one of the six keys. Uh, but prayer is just an overarching theme of all these, all, these six, all these six keys. Now what happened to marriage? What went wrong? Uh, we know at the beginning that God created marriage and he created it to be beautiful. In Genesis 1, it says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So originally we see that Adam and Eve, the male and female, were, were created to rule together. They were rule and reign to walk side by side. Not one was to be above the other and pushing the other down or leading the other. They were to be co-leaders, co-reigning, working together. Both were to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. But not only that, they were to be one. In Genesis 2, the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. And so this original creation of marriage is, is, is two people ruling and reigning together. 
but they're also naked and there's no shame. There's complete vulnerability. There's no hiding. There's no shame. There's this amazing oneness. And, and this is what uh, God's ideal of marriage is. That this oneness would be so beautiful that a couple could be completely naked in every, not just physically, but emotionally and, and be vulnerable and that there'd be no shame. But that didn't last. Because we know that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you might say, well, what's wrong with eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Uh, well, the idea that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is symbolic for, for deciding what is right and wrong without God. That I'm going to decide what is good and what is evil, and I don't need you, God. I'm going to decide on my own. And whenever we pull away from God, things go downhill. And marriage goes downhill. It says that she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. A lot of people miss that. Adam was right there, along with Eve, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for them. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve all of a sudden realized, I'm naked. And so they covered themselves, and all of a sudden, instead of being uh, naked and there's no shame, all of a sudden they, are, they realize they're naked and they're full of shame. And ever since the fall, couples will always have a tendency to want to hide from each other, to not be completely vulnerable, to, to cover up things in their life, and, and the oneness is broken. And then not only were they, in essence, separated from each other, but separated from God. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And by the way, God is always calling to us. Where are you? Because God, being a loving being, always wants to fill us with his grace and love. And so he's always calling us near to himself. But we see that Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so no longer is he walking in this vulnerable relationship with God. He has hidden himself as well. And all of this broken relationships with each other and with God really, really affects marriage in a negative way. In fact, you can check out my super cool PowerPoint art. <laughs> I mean, you can picture each of us with, with a fuel tank, if you will. This fuel tank is, when it's full, you feel very satisfied, you're, very, you're excited about life, you just want to love on to each other. And the way God designed it would be that we would be walking in a beautiful relationship with God because God is so full to overflowing that he would flow onto us and our tanks would be full. I mean, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, if you will, to fill up the tank in your life so that you might just have something to overflow onto others. And this is what they call the perfect love triangle, if you will, within marriage, a husband, and wife, and God in the midst where God is filling our tank and then that overflow in our life flows onto our spouse. But the problem is, as soon as we're cut off from God, our tanks begin to get empty. Now, we'll always want to fill our tank because it sucks having an empty tank. We will, uh, we will look to things like our job or money or anything else that might fill up our tank, but we know all those things eventually just don't fully satisfy. And what we also do is we say, hey, wife, my tank is empty. Fill me up. <laughs> hey, husband, my tank is fill me, fill me up. Meet my needs. You've got to fill up my tank. But the problem is both the husband and wife, their tanks are empty. They don't have a lot to give. And so then the relationship between husband and wife goes downhill. And, and the answer, of course, is, is, is to, to, to really have a rich, vibrant relationship with God where you are giving and receiving love with God. 
One of the best things you can do for your spouse is have a rich, vibrant love relationship with God. Because when you have a, a rich, vibrant love relationship with God, your tank in life tends to be filled. To the place where you just want to overflow and serve and give and love from your spouse. But if you're disconnected from God, you will try to get your tank filled, sadly, but you need to fix all my needs, wife or husband. And you try to go get your needs filled with work and all those money, and they just disappoint in the end. So one of the best things you can do for your spouse is just love on God. Be connected with God. Walk with God. And pray for your marriage. Now we're going to cover two keys those are kind of keys, I guess, but overarching themes today, and we'll try to be brief. Uh, the first is hard work. Because of our disconnection with God and the fall of man, every single human that is born is, has brokenness. And the funny thing about marriage is, kind of in the world of romanticism, we look at marriage and we just think, you know, I need to find that perfect person, and when I find that perfect person, they're going to be perfect. But you quickly find out they're really not perfect, because we're all broken. And every marriage issue comes actually out of this brokenness. In fact, I have uh, two friends of mine who run Family Life Canada, and they, uh, they travel all over North America doing marriage seminars, and they will say every marriage issue comes down to two things, selfishness and brokenness. And really, selfishness often comes out of brokenness. Yeah. And because we are broken, it really, really affects marriage negatively. Jesus said in Matthew, the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Jesus says that the, the things that affect marriage come from our heart. Or as it says in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Again, we all have broken hearts. We're all broken in certain ways, and it's from our heart that come all those things that mess marriage up. It, it comes from our own hearts. Everything you do flows from your heart, and that is your inner being. And we need to recognize that, because what we will tend to do sometimes in marriage, and, and I've done enough counseling to know, is that sometimes we will always want to blame it on external circumstances. The reason my marriage is so horrible is because uh, of our money issues. Uh, the reason our marriage is so horrible because of work issues. And work is really stressful, and, and our marriage is really bad because of work issues. Or it's because of our crazy kids that our marriage is bad. Or uh, because of, of a health issue, our marriage is bad. Now, granted, those things can make marriage harder. But the reality is there are people who are in financial difficulty who have a great marriage. Yeah. There are people who are dealing with drastic ill health in their marriage, and their marriage is strong. There are people who are dealing with very stressful situations at work and their marriage is strong because it's not so much externals, it's what Jesus says. Everything you do flows from your heart. Right. It is from the heart that come uh, out those words that hurt your spouse. It's from your heart that come those actions that pull your marriage down. It's from your heart. And so any kind of uh, marital strengthening needs to deal with heart. That we do have a broken heart, and you're married to a person who has, has brokenness in, in their heart. And so it requires heart work. Uh, good marriages are built when two people are willing to do heart work. It is like a guy on crutches. If you've ever had crutches or a broken leg, you realize that uh, you can't run very well. 
You can't run a marathon. You're limited in what you're able to do because you have a broken leg and you have crutches. You can never thrive in life because you have crutches. But what needs to happen is that leg needs to be healed. And once your leg is healed, you can, you can run once again. And this is the same with us. We all have brokenness inside. And that brokenness will always come out in, into our marriage. And it causes our marriage not to thrive. And so you've got to allow that to heal. Because realize, if you don't deal with your brokenness, it will always come out and deal with your marriage negatively. If you don't deal with your brokenness, it will always come out and deal with your marriage negatively. And there are couples who have been together for years and years and years and years and years, struggling for years and years and years and years and years because they've never been willing to look within and actually fix the brokenness within. And so we need to do hard work. Uh, Dr. James Godwin, some of you know him. He is uh, probably the most famous uh, marriage um, researcher. He's been around for a long time, but he has researched over 40,000 marriages. And some of them he's followed for over 20 years. And uh, he, has, he knows couples so well because of his research that he can look at a couple and how they interact, and he can actually predict to a 93% accuracy whether that couple is going to stay married or divorce. 93% accurate. He can look at a couple and how they're interacting. With 93% accuracy, he can say, that couple's not going to make it. Now, what's the issue here? You'll listen to certain things, but there are four big things that he talks about, and he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Right? <laughs> we know that from Revelation chapter 6, these four horsemen that come to basically wipe out humanity and wipe out the earth. Uh, he calls these the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He says, if you see these in, in a marriage, you know that marriage is in trouble. And the more you see these in the marriage, the more chance that marriage is going to end up in divorce. And the four of them are uh, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. That's where you become a stone and you avoid conflict and you, you just kind of remove yourself from the marriage. So we're going to look at these four briefly. Try to be brief. Uh, criticism, which is verbally attacking the personality or character of your spouse. Uh, some examples, you never care about me at all, all you care about yourself, or you never do anything right. It's usually in the form of you never, you always. It's usually exaggeration. It's attacking their personality, attacking their character. It's taking an issue between you, and you basically shove it down your spouse's throat and say the problem actually is you. Criticism. Uh, I mean, sometimes you hear this. Uh, uh, a spouse just constantly criticizing their partner. Sometimes right in the, in the presence of the other spouse or you're hanging out and, and your friend is constantly dumping criticism on, uh, on you about their spouse. You know, my spouse is horrible. He doesn't do this and he doesn't do this and this is wrong. And if you just fix that or she just did that, then everything will be great. Just a lot of criticism and it's really, really dangerous for your marriage. The Bible tells us, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And criticism doesn't benefit. And the reason we criticize our spouse is because we want to teach them something in a nasty way, and hopefully they will change so that our marriage will be better and that connection will actually happen. But when you criticize, you're actually just pushing your spouse farther away. So the very thing you want, which is connection, is actually pushed farther away. Uh, 
Don't allow criticism to flow out of your mouth. Don't criticize your spouse in front of your friends or your roommates or other people. Don't criticize your spouse. Then you make a scene, well, I got this issue and I need to deal with this issue. Well, the right way to fix it is not criticism. It's not the right way. The right way is to do what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. And, and the answer is that to learn how to actually discuss an issue in a kingdom manner. And it's possible because the old is gone the new is you, you have a new self, you actually should be able to have a, a mature conversation with your spouse. And, and again, just stay away from these kind of words that you always, and you're never, and you're never there for me. It's far much better to use like, you know, it, it, your, your criticism is, you're never there for me. Probably better to say something like, you know, I really needed you in that moment. And that opens a uh, dialogue. So criticism is not a good one. The second one is defensiveness. And this is self-protection through blaming your spouse. In other words, the problem's not me, it's you. If you just were better and didn't do that or fixed yourself, my marriage would be fine because after all, it's not me, it's you. You're the problem. And this is exactly what happened in Genesis. You, you remember they ate the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. It's a woman's fault, it's wife's fault. And we still do that, don't we? Yeah, it's, it's my spouse's fault, it's, it's all her fault, right? It's all his, his fault. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. In other words, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them. And this is a trap we can fall in, into marriage where we begin to think actually subtly that I'm perfect. And really it's just, it's, it's all my spouse. It's all their fault and if they would just fix that then, 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 we would, and then we would be fine. But as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to accept responsibility. I mean if there's an issue, even if your part is 2%, you need to accept responsibility for that small part. And and to learn to say, you know, yeah, forgive me. Even it's 2%. To not be defensive. Because if your spouse does have a criticism for you, you know, so often it's exaggerated, but often people criticize based on some little truth in there. And you need to learn to accept that. To say, you know, I'm a broken person. You know, would you forgive me? Uh, to learn to uh, apologize. And also, on the other hand, if, if someone is defensive towards you or critical towards you, Proverbs 15, says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Critical word goes towards you from your spouse, you have choice. Do you want to get in a temper spiral? Well, you, no, 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 no. Your spouse is critical towards you, you can stop it right there. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And so that's defensive. The third one is contempt. This is an expression of superiority that comes out of sarcasm or cynicism or name-calling or eye-rolling, oh my god, you know, <laughs> sneering, <laughs> mockery, hostile humor. And Godman actually says this is the most dangerous. Because if you are in a place where there's just sort of this contempt in your heart for your spouse, you're just like, oh, not again. This contempt, it is super, super dangerous because what you've been just done is wired your brain to look negatively at your spouse. And so everything you see in them becomes negative rather than positive, and it just, it just becomes a, a downhill spiral. It's actually the worst one. And so if you're in a place of contempt, that's got to be turned around. 
And one of the ways he suggests turning that around is, is through thanksgiving. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, your brain wires uh, depending on how you think. And if you're often critical and defensive and blaming and contempt, you know, sneering at your spouse, your brain will actually more and more wire to think negatively about your spouse. And that always has to be reversed. We should always be thinking of things to be thankful for with our spouse. You know, even little things, I'm so thankful for that, and to write them down, to think about them, so that when things come up that are negative, you have far more pathways in your brain that are positive than negative. And this is the problem with criticism. If you're constantly criticizing your spouse everywhere, again, you're wiring your brain to think more and more negatively about your spouse when really you need to be thinking positively. The last one is stonewalling. This is withdrawal to avoid conflict. This is uh, to contain disapproval, distance, and separation. This is when you know, I'm so ticked at them, but I'm not going to deal with it. Just going to stuff it down here, and uh, maybe one day it'll get better. But if you stuff stuff, it's going to pop up negatively in your marriage. Uh, the idea of a stone wall is, you know, uh, you know, I'm so overwhelmed that I don't want to talk about it, or you know, I'm just going to shut down. Uh, maybe you've been in, in a fight or uh, with your wife or your, your your husband, and and all of a sudden you just avoid each other for like a month, or the issue is not talked about, right? And the stone wall is very dangerous. Uh, again, there needs to be this place where you learn to have a mature conversation with your spouse. And uh, the Bible says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I mean, I've met with couples who, you know, one of the spouses, says, you know, this issue two years ago, I'm still struggling with. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, there definitely is a time if you get really heated and your upstairs brain, brain disconnects from your downstairs brain, we've talked about that, or you may need to say, I need 20 minutes to reconnect my brain so I can actually have a real conversation. But again, I urge you to live your new self and learn how to have mature kingdom conversations. Stay away from these four uh, horsemen. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. Stone now, if you're here and you're like, man, I just really want to ruin my marriage. I just want to have the most miserable marriage ever. You just got to do these things. <laughs> just start criticizing your spouse all the time. Just, just mock them and, and just blame it all on them and just, just stonewall. Become a stone. Don't open up your heart and just don't be vulnerable at all. And it, it'll ruin your marriage. But if you want a great marriage, then let these things be shut down in your life. All of these things are like, and I like the picture of a boat. Uh, say you and your spouse are out in a boat in the middle of the ocean and it starts to sink. Doing these things like criticism and blaming is basically looking at your spouse and saying, your, your side of the boat is sinking. Your side of the boat is sinking. Better do something. <laughs> You're in the boat together. Right? <laughs> You're going down as well. And, and this is the problem with criticism because again, you're taking an issue and you're shoving it down their throat and saying it's your fault or blame. You gotta learn to take that issue and put it between you and, and work on it together. The boat is sinking, so you better both start bailing. 
You better both start working on, on, uh, on the issue together. And lastly, the second key, and this is going to be really brief, is forgiveness. Because that deals with those things. You know because you're broken that even in the best marriages, there will be time where you're going to see those four. In the best marriage, the most perfect marriage on this planet, the most dream come true romantic novel or you know, movie that you can see, I mean, it's going to happen because we're broken. And it's good to know and just be aware my spouse is going to make mistakes. And to be aware that you're going to need to forgive because a happy marriage is the union of two forgivers. And, and I find this principle, uh, let me just read the study actually. This is... Uh, it says that recent studies have shown that forgiveness is an essential component of successful romantic relationships. In fact, the capacity to seek and grant forgiveness is one of the most significant factors contributing to marital satisfaction and a, and a lifetime of love. And you know what? As followers of Jesus, we should be really, really good at this. Amen. Because our leader and the one we follow stood on a cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Our leader died and forgave every single one of your sins. And because we call ourselves disciples, that means we are followers of Jesus. We should be good at this and growing in this and, and be really good at forgiveness. In fact, uh, I think all of us, and this is really helpful, I find helpful in marriage, is you know the ready position in sports, tennis or squash or whatever? You know, you're ready to move. That ball comes, you're ready to go this way, this way, or up, you're ready to go. You need to be in the ready position when it comes to forgiveness. I call it, you need to have pre-charged forgiveness every day. That you're just like, I'm just waiting to forgive my spouse. <laughs> I know they're broken. I know they're broken. There's going to be a mistake yeah. at least once a day somewhere. And they're going to break. And so I'm ready to forgive. So when it comes out, it's already there. Right. It's already, it's already right. pre-charged. It's already ready. It's like, this comes out. Oh, here you go. It's already there. It's just like, <laughs> the problem is, if you're not in the ready position and you don't have pre-charged forgiveness, it's like, I can't believe they said that you stew on it. And then like two weeks later, you got to work this up in your heart to find forgiveness somewhere. And by that time, your brain's just flooded with all this negativity and, and it's really hard. Just have it, you know, the old saying, you know, locked and loaded. You're just ready to shoot forgiveness in the moment it happens. Just be ready. Be, be pre-charged with uh, forgiveness. And this forgiveness is, is actually from the heart. And sometimes I say, well, I forgive my spouse. <laughs> That's not forgiveness. The Bible says you actually need to forgive them from, from your heart. This is where you completely let them go. You set them absolutely free. There's no desire for them to get back at them. There's no desire to blame or to be offensive or critical. You just let them go. And, and, and so to walk in your marriage with this pre-charged forgiveness, which should flood them all. All right, we should be done. Uh, let me just uh, read this over as a declaration over us as, as the church. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. 
Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. God, we pray this over our marriages. God, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just keep us from any criticism, any contempt, any defensiveness, any stonewalling, God, in our marriages. God, you have said we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. God, I pray we push away those old habits and we live into that new kingdom self that you've given us. God, I pray you would give us just pre-charge forgiveness for our marriages. God, that we would just be ready each and every day to release forgiveness whenever we can because we just want to forgive because you've forgiven us so much. God, I pray for power and grace over our marriages. I pray for those marriages in this room that are struggling. God, that you would just miraculously do heart transformation. God, I pray for our brokenness. God, that we would not stuff our brokenness, that we would gently bring it up and allow uh, ourselves to deal with it with you and with others. So God, we pray blessing on all of our relationships here. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.